Good evening. It is a joy for me to be with you here this evening. I want to thank uh, Pastor Mark for allowing me to address you. I want to thank uh, Brother Bill, who was instrumental in getting me in Oaklawn. I want to thank Brother Nick, who was willing to interpret. I want to thank Brother Tom for playing, and uh, I will mention you also in the message, so you wait until I get to that point. Let me uh, read to you uh, three passages. Some of it I mentioned this morning, so if you heard me, you have a kind of a repetition, but it has a few other aspects to it. So let me read, first of all, from the Word of God, Luke 24, and I will start in verse 44. Then he said to them, the man on the way to Emmaus, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high, then he led him out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, blessing God. Now those men on the way to Emmaus returned to the disciples and they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the way, while he opened to us the scriptures? So it is my prayer that our hearts also will burn within us as we hear the word of God. Now the second passage is from Acts and the ninth chapter, and starting in verse 10, through verse 16. Now there was a disciple of Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he would regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. So Ananias was not a very happy man. But the Lord said to him, Go! For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And then in chapter 26 of that same book, we notice that the Apostle Paul was giving a defense for King Agrippa. And then, of course, he shares what happened on the road to Damascus. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? In verse 14, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand up on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, 
to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people, the Israelites, the Jews, and from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Here ends the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Father, we ask you that you fill us with your Holy Spirit in speaking and in listening. We thank you that we may conclude this service with the supper of the Lord. Because, Lord, your word also calls us to action. But without communion with Jesus, we will not be able to do that. So we thank you, Lord, for the word and the sacrament of the Lord's Supper today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this morning, I asked the question, are you missing Jesus? And I focused mainly upon the cross and the resurrection. This evening, I would like to start at the end, all right? And then I'll get back to that question later on. What we're going to see in this, these passages is, first of all, the man. Whether it is Peter, Paul in this situation, or you, it doesn't make any difference. The man. And then, previous to that, there is the message. And previous to that is the foundation of the cross and the resurrection. I was breaking my brain about another M, but I didn't find it thus far. If you can help me, please do that so that you'll always remember. So what is the man? Well, a witness. And that man cannot do it himself. As somebody on the television once said, uh, God, Jesus said to his disciples, slow down, go back, go back to the town because you're not going to get anywhere unless you get power from above. It is useless to do anything without that power. And that power came on the day of Pentecost. It came on Peter. And that fearful man who could be pushed around by two girls first and then by some other peons uh, who had not, no, not really any standing except around a fire, you belong to Jesus, and he eventually cursed himself. But what happened seven weeks later? Ladies and gentlemen, that is an amazing, an amazing development. He was standing there on the streets of Jerusalem. He may have taken a garbage can and turned around, and when they were told, you are drunk, he said, wait a minute. That's quite a feat at nine o'clock in the morning. But no, this is the day of the Holy Spirit. And he explains that. And there's power in him. There is power in his preaching. There is power in his audience. And there is power in the first congregation. And if we don't get that power, nothing is going to work. Now that man, of course, Peter, was a preacher. And we know he was a street preacher. And the other day I had a uh, little uh, blurb on, my, on my, my computer. Street preaching is the way for God to show the kingdom to make advances. And of course, Peter was a street preacher. Jesus was a street preacher. Wesley was a street preacher. 
Whitfield was a street preacher, and there are many street preachers today. But why don't they have the same effectiveness? Now, I may not know all the answer, but I'll tell you. If there's no power in the street preacher, what's going to happen? And so we must pray for power. But then when we take a look at the Apostle Paul, that he had the power, no doubt about it. But what did God say? If you get that power, then you're going to be a soldier. And when you're a soldier, you're going to suffer. Did Peter suffer? He was crucified upside down. Did all the other apostles suffer? They all died a violent death except one. And that was John. And he had a share on the Isle of Patmos. Especially when he was sitting there and the Lord Jesus said to him, write seven letters to the churches of which he was the overseeing pastor. And he heard the hammer blows upon two, three, two, two churches. You're already gone. Three churches. You're compromised. And only two churches. A clean bill of health. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know how he could have taken that. When he saw the churches which he pastored, under the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as John MacArthur said the other day on the radio, it has never been any different in the history of the church. Christ destroyed and crushed Satan. But Satan is making the church limp because it goes after its heels. And we have been living for over 2,000 years in a limping church and every once in a while they seem to have made some progress but then began to disappear again. John got those hammer blows and the Apostle Paul if you listen to the list of what he endured ladies and gentlemen beaten to a pulp, always in need on the road and in the town. Well, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't want to pay that price, you're not going to make it. And even when you want to take the, pay that price, what did the Bible say? I will save you from the Jews and from the Gentiles. We live, brothers and sisters, in a war zone. And we go after the realm of darkness. And when you go after the realm of darkness, you must have the power of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, you're going to cease. And so I am very deeply thankful for my brother Mark. It's not easy to start a church in this area. Knock on door to door. I close the door and they say, yes, but they don't do know. It is easy to give up. Brother Mark, I have the highest respect and admiration for the man whom you are in the footsteps of those other men that I mentioned. And I could have mentioned many more. Luther, Calvin, Wesley, Brothers and sisters, God's method is God's man. And that is what we find here in the Word of God. And that is why Paul says to Timothy, be in the Word, be in the Word, so you can save yourself and others. Now, that does not mean that he has to be saved, quote-unquote, every day again. No, no, no. The word salvation means to be sanctified, 
to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus and to become part of that unshakable kingdom and to be unshakable in the midst of the shaking of society. That's God's man. And there is no future apart from God's man. It's very, very clear. Now, the apostles were witnesses of the resurrection and the crucifixion. The word witness in the book of Acts only applies to the apostles. But what applies to the people of God is to speak the word of God. So we speak the word of the apostles because we are not apostles ourselves. But we must follow in the footsteps of those men and we must be men. Even the women must be men in that regard. And you smile so you understand I am not fighting for transgenderism. All right? We must have that power, that power, that glory. You will suffer Period. And if you don't want to suffer, then listen to the Apostle Paul. I want to know the Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of his suffering. There's a little girl here. And if I were the father and I would give that little girl a little doll. And then when I put her to bed in the evening... The little girl said, Daddy, may I take my little doll under the blankets, under the sheet, and snuggle up to it? The daddy will say, yes. And that is what Paul says, I snuggle up to suffering. <laughs> wow. 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 And if you turn wow around, you get mom, you get mama mia. This is the word of God. And then the message. What does Luke tell us? In both Luke and in the book of Acts. You must preach repentance. Unto the forgiveness of sins. And then you'll be part of the company that is sanctified by the Lord Jesus Christ. Which is the church. So here you see ladies and gentlemen that there is a threefold message. You must repent. You must be forgiven. And you must seek holiness. Now this is what the Lord Jesus Christ said, told his people in the book of John. Nicodemus, you must be born again. And only when you are born again can you repent and believe. Woman at the well, you must be forgiven. Jews in John 8, if you want to be my disciple, you must abide in the Word because the Word will show you the jail cells of sin to get away from it. And the Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost, what does he tell the people? Repent unto the forgiveness of sins. And you also get the gift of the Holy Spirit. And you turn into a man of God. And what does Paul say in uh, the book of Romans? Justification, regeneration, sanctification. What does he say in 2 Corinthians 5? Regeneration, justification, sanctification. And what does he say in Philippians? Regeneration, justification, sanctification. There must be repentance, which is the ground floor of a building. There must be forgiveness, which are the walls of a building. And there must be holiness, which is the ceiling of the building. And you must be sanctified. You must be part of the group that are sanctified through the Lord Jesus Christ, which is the church. And now I come to my friend uh, Tom. He was a young man, together with his sister, and together with a young man who was his friend. 
And they came up to me and they said to me, uh, Dr. Henry, we would like to study the Bible with you. And I said, well, Sunday school in the morning, church service in the morning, another Sunday school in our OP congregation at 6 o'clock, and another church service at 7 o'clock. I said, no, 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 you don't understand. We want to study the Bible. That's why he's here. That's why he's here. And when I see many people, they stay away from the worship services. And Hebrews says, some of you stay away, and that is deadly. Because you must be sanctified through the rest of your life. I talked to a couple, uh, to my brother, and he shared with me an issue in the congregation. The person needs to be sanctified. And I promise you, when you take a look at the Word of God, you must be sanctified. That means you must be taught and you must be exhorted. And that takes a lifetime. You cannot do that at once and for all. It is a commitment, ladies and gentlemen, it is a life's commitment. I surrender all. I repent. I am forgiven. And now I am filled with the Holy Spirit. And my sole purpose in life is to be the holiest person I can be. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's what the book of Luke and the book of Acts are telling us. And we'll see in the early congregation... And you read verses 42 through 47 in Acts 2. They're always together. And I remember a man in Sunnyvale who told me, so, sir, you want me to be a member of the church, but you insist that I come twice to church. Now, sir, I want to do it the Bible way. What he means to say, lay off. And I said, oh, you want to do it the Bible way. I said, yes. He said, well, when I read Acts 2 very carefully, then I will tell you on Monday I visit you in your home and you read the Bible. On Tuesday you visit me in, in my home and I read the Bible. On Wednesday I come to your home. On Thursday you come to my home. On Friday I come to your home. On Saturday you come to my home and I gladly give you the Sunday evening off. According to Barna, the church is illiterate in the word of the living God. There's no teaching and there is no exhorting. And brothers and sisters, you will never be able to rise to that occasion without having the Spirit of God. And you will never get the Spirit of God until you're forgiven. And you will never be forgiven until you repent. And that is very rarely taught. A good friend of mine, I asked him, what do you think Peter is preaching about? Well, repentance. What else? Well, I guess uh, forgiveness of sins. What else? Is there anything else? And all of a sudden I understood. I've never heard anybody, whether in the OPC or the PCA, or on the radio, or on television, give Peter's message. Now, if you have heard it, fine, but I have not. Repent, be forgiven, and you get the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit to people who killed Jesus. That must have come as a revelation. Who are we who killed Jesus to be given the gift of the third person of the Godhead? 
awesome, 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 awesome. And when they received the gift of the Holy Spirit, you could not keep them out of the church. Now, in my congregation in Sunnyvale, I would have a communicants class, and I would say to them, we go to every doctrine of the Word of God as it applies to church membership. It lasts at least uh, three, four months, and if you ask, may ask questions, it may last longer. But ladies and gentlemen, when they finally made a profession of faith, one of the men in the church who was rather critical, he said, Dr. Henry, this is the first time I am now convinced that those who profess their faith are real, repentant, forgiven, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. They want to belong to the people who are sanctified. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the greatest gift that God can give you. And the only way you can get it is through the Word and the Spirit and prayer. And if you're not interested in that, you're not going to make it. And when I see my friend Tom, my brother Tom, and I remember Susie, and I remember Mark, and they were sitting around my table, and we were studying the book of Romans, studying step by step, and his mother applauding it. Ladies and gentlemen, that has to come back. We must have a man, and we must have the message. But how do we get that back? Well, what does Luke tell us? You get that message based on the cross and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if I were an apologist this evening, I would show you the reasons why there was a cross and why there was a resurrection. But I'm a preacher this evening, although I am also an apologist, I'm going to share with you why the cross is needed and why the resurrection is needed. The purpose of the cross and the purpose of the resurrection. And the Apostle Paul must have been contemplating that. He was blind for three days. He was blind on the outside. And God says, I don't want you to look at anything else. But he was very much seeing the inside. He was born again. He saw. But God says, I'm going to close the external world from, to you. Because I want you to concentrate on your past. On what caused your past. <coughs> And your life, I want you to concentrate on that. And you will see that is darker than you even can imagine. And until you see that darkness, you will never appreciate the light. In the midst of pressure, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of being forsaken by everybody in Asia, all they, those were his converts, and they forsook him by standing alone before the emperor, and everybody left him. Ladies and gentlemen, until you see the purpose of the cross and the purpose of the resurrection, you're going to give up. And the Bible is very, very clear. The Father says, in the new covenant, I will take the heart of stone out of you and give you a heart of flesh. I wash you of all your filth. 
I put the Holy Spirit within you. And that's what Peter quoted. So Peter did not suck it out of his thumb, all right? He got it right out of the Old Testament. Now, why did the Father tell us, I'll take the heart of stone out of you. I'll wash you of all your filth. I put the Holy Spirit within you. Well, by that time, ladies and gentlemen, Israel must have understood that they are utterly, utterly, utterly bankrupt. It took all that long to prove the bankruptcy of Israel and of the world for that matter. They tried everything to revitalize, to sanitize. Nothing ever worked. And God says throughout the Old Testament, you are rebels, you are stiff-necked. And, and Moses says, I know what you're going to do after I die. You're going to be filled with rebellion. And you're going to turn away from the Almighty God. And ladies and gentlemen, that's why God tells us the heart of the problem is the problem of your heart. And I'll take that heart of stone out of you and give you a heart of flesh, that heart of rebellion. And he took it out of Peter. And he took it out of Paul. And hopefully he also took it out of me and out of you. And then he says, I'm going to wash you of all your filth because that heart of stone can only produce filth. I'm going to put the Holy Spirit within you because that heart of stone and that past of filth can only produce a life of destruction. And if you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, there will be not one nano ounce or inch of holiness in you. You must have the Holy Spirit. And my, ladies and gentlemen, that must have resonated at the end of the Old Testament. Because in the rest of the Old Testament, it becomes abundantly clear. And God says to the people in the flood, all the thoughts of your hearts are only evil continually. Only. Always. Wow. That heart is so terrible that Nehemiah says, you cannot even know it. And Psalm 58 says, it's a cobra. It's a snake, a poisonous snake on the inside. And I remember preaching this in a girls' school in Gayaza in Uganda, based on Joshua, the fifth chapter, where God says, circumcise all your boys. They were not circumcised in the, in, in the desert. Take the Passover. And Joshua, take the shoes of your feet. And I saw that for the first time. I said, what in the world am I going to tell my people? I cannot tell the people. I'll get circumcised, take the Passover, and take your shoes off. Because that's Old Testament. They said, well, I'm going to tell the story. And then next week we go to Jericho. And then it becomes interesting again. I couldn't do that. I said, Lord, what is the meaning? And then I looked at it again. I said, Lord, forgive me, but it looks kind of stupid. If you have an army, you're not going to circumcise it. Because the enemy will make mincemeat out of you. If you want an army, you're not going to put up a big feast and put aprons there instead of your sword. And Lord, if you want an army... You're not going to tell the people to take your shoes off because you're not going to make it. They say that Gettysburg was partly lost to the Confederates because many of those soldiers didn't have shoes. So they couldn't walk. I said, Lord, this is rather foolish. And the Lord seemed to say to me, yes, Henry, you're absolutely right, but I want to remind you that the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of man, as the Lord showed me. And he showed me in the Pentateuch. Circumcise your, your heart 
and not just the outer flesh. So circumcision is a symbol of regeneration. The enemy is on the inside, not on the outside. The Passover, unless you're under the blood, symbol of justification, you're not going to make it. God is a killer. Take your shoes off your feet, because the ground on which you stand is holy, a symbol of your sanctification. And there you see, in the depth of the Old Testament, God saying, I'm putting you in a new land, but you better make sure that there are three problems that need to be solved. You must be born again. You must be justified. You must be sanctified. And if you are not going to go that route, I'm going to kick you out again, which he promptly did. And then he says, that heart is like a cobra. And Isaiah says, that heart is like dung. In conjunction with Paul in Philippians 3. And James says that life is like poison. Now when I saw that for the first time, I was very hesitant to share that. Because that is not in our DNA in the church. It's not in our tradition. Ladies and gentlemen, I've done a lot of studies. In it. It's not in our tradition to say to people when we baptize them. That little baby is a little cobra. It's a little dung. It's a little poison. And it needs the promises of God. I will take the heart of stone out of you. I will wash it, its filth. I will put the Holy Spirit within you. And you better train your children. That they will recognize that they have to flee to the everlasting Savior. That they have to flee to the cross. Because it's only on the cross that the cobra can be killed, Romans 6. That the dung can be washed, 2 Corinthians 5. And that the poison can be eliminated. It's only in the darkness of three hours that the darkness of the three problems can be removed. And when we hear people evangelize, they talk about justification, but they never talk about the heart. They never talk about the life. It's a truncated message that breaks my heart. We have our traditions, and this does not fit our traditions. I mentioned that to a brother in the PCA when he baptized children. Jesus loves me. Yes, I know, for the Bible tells me so. I said, what do you mean when you sing that? I, I'm not disagreeing. Can you say from the pulpit, God so loves monstrosities that he gave his only son. Parents loved them equally and shared Jesus day and night. You know what he told me? Over the top. <laughs> and now you see in Columbia Presbyterian Church, where I was some time ago, 80% of the young people go into the world. Barna said two days ago on the radio, church young people, 70% are gone by the time they are 22. And 80% by the time they are 29. I would like to give it to, into your consideration. That it's our fault. Because we have not evangelized our children. I did not do that. That my four children love the Lord Jesus. Is a miracle in spite of me. And I ask forgiveness. For my children that I did not share the gospel with them. And three of my grandchildren don't know Jesus. And my son said to me, Dad, I'm just as guilty as you are. I never share that with my children. 
Never. And the other day I saw a lady there. I said, do you have any children? She said, no. And the other said, well, she is expecting. He said, now you put your hand on your tummy every morning. And you say, good morning, little cobra. Good morning, little dung. Good morning, little poison. You need Jesus. You need Jesus. You need Jesus three times. And I'm convinced that unless we do that in the PCA and in the OPC, we win battles. Praise the Lord. 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 Even in Richmond. All right. But we are losing the war. We are losing the war. And the other day I was in a celebration of missions conference. And I said, I love the celebration. But they, you don't see that we are losing the war. And you don't tell people, be a man with a message based upon the cross. That the Almighty God says, I will take care of those problems. And Jesus says, let me handle it. He killed the cobra in Romans 6. He washed the dung in 2 Corinthians 5. And he removed the poison. Hebrews 10. As A.W. Tozer said, the cross terminates you and I am fond of saying it exterminates you. You don't have any goodwill in regeneration. I'm not an Armenian. You don't have good works in justification. I'm not a Roman Catholic. And I don't have any good efforts in sanctification, so I'm not a Presbyterian either. Nothing in myself I bring simply to the cross. I cling, but then I have nothing. By the time I go to Jesus as a friend of the cross, and then Jesus says, you may also be a friend of the resurrection. And what comes out of the grave, ladies and gentlemen? 1 Peter 1. Born again through the resurrection of Jesus. The heart of Jesus comes out of the grave to replace the cobra. What does the Bible say? The Bible tells us that the dung is washed and out of the grave comes the righteousness of Jesus to replace the dung. And the poison is eliminated and out of the grave comes the holiness of Jesus. And now we can repent and forgiven. And we can be like Tom, sanctified in the setting of the church. That is the foundation. And when the songwriter says that Jesus is the double cure, it is beautiful blasphemy. It is the triple cure. It's beautiful, but it's truncated. And when you don't fit, fill that up, you're going to get people in the church who are not born again. And you get 80% of the people leaving. By the time they're 29. This is not an easy message. Not easy for me to say. And I've gotten a lot of flack. Overdoing it. But I'm now appointed coordinator of a little black Baptist church down the mountain. And I took the pastor with me as I evangelized the people. Which I did with the Holmans. You have three problems. You need three solutions. In the last 12 weeks, I have at least 10 people call on the name of the Lord. And I tell them, you call on the name of the Lord, I don't tell you you're saved until I see the fruit. If you call on the name of the Lord and you're not in church the next Sunday, you're a baby. But what does a baby do when it's born? It cries. Why does it cry? Because it's hungry. So if you call on the name of the Lord, Mr. or Mrs., girl, girl, whatever, 
because you are impressed by the fact that you're drowning in your, in your sin and you need a Savior, you call on Him and you tell the Lord Jesus, take my cobra, kill it, take my dung, wash it, take my poison, remove it, and out of the grave give me your heart, your righteousness and your holiness. And you don't show up next Sunday, you don't read the Word. Oh, it may be that it takes a few weeks before you get them there, that's fine. But if you don't show up, you're stillborn. Because there's no hunger. And you will never have your son and your daughter and their friend coming to the pastor. We want to study the Bible. Study it. <laughs> All that superficial stuff <laughs> in the first service, the first Sunday school, the second Sunday service, the second Sunday school, all that superficial service. They didn't put it that way, you see. But they, we want to study the Word. When I think of his, his sister, when I think of him, when I think of uh, his friend, who finally, after a deep spell of sin, came out of it, and now is being sanctified again, Ladies and gentlemen, that's my message. And that's why I asked this morning, are you missing Jesus? One-third, two-thirds, three-thirds. If you're missing three-thirds, you're not a Christian. If you're missing two-thirds, you're very truncated. If you're missing one-third, it's a little bit better. But until you get them three-thirds, you're not even a Christian because it's a package deal. Now that brings me to the Lord's Supper. And Mark asked me to say a few things about it. You see, the Lord's Supper is also the new covenant. And the three promises of God are the new covenant. And I've never heard anybody preach on the fact that the Lord's Supper is the new covenant. You see, when you go to Jesus definitively, once and for all, you get the heart, the righteousness, and the holiness of Jesus. You go in the grave of Jesus. You come out of the grave of Jesus. You send into the heaven of Jesus. You're already there. But you not, have not yet arrived on earth. So out of the new heart, you have to have daily repentance, right? That's why we ask for, have a confession of sin every Sunday. You need daily forgiveness, right? You need daily holiness, right? He said, well, when you get here a message, you say, ah, I'm not stacking up. And Daphne says, after every sermon, I give them a call to action. And I say, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. But then I say to them, also, we have to have the Lord's Supper. Because if you don't commune with Jesus, you'll never be able to act. Without him, you can do nothing. And so, ladies and gentlemen, if I hand out the Lord's Supper to you, and you heard the message, the man, the message, the foundation, Give me another M and I put it in. The man, the message, the foundation. Lord, I'm not there. Then I hand you the new covenant. Not the definitive aspect, once and for all baptism, but the progressive aspect. I give you repentance and faith. I give you forgiveness. I grant you holiness. And the Lord's Supper then becomes powerful. If you don't want repentance, don't come. If you don't want forgiveness, if you are not of you fall short, don't come. If you don't want holiness, don't come. But if you say to me, I heard the message, whether it's this message or any other message, I know I have fallen short. I want to be holy after being forgiveness, after repentance, I want to flee to Jesus after every sermon. Take a pit stop in heaven. Lord, I did not stack up, but I thank you that in the new covenant you, grant, you give forgiveness, you give repentance, you grant forgiveness, you grant holiness. And that's what I would like to do in the Lord's Supper. Mark asked me to introduce it, otherwise I wouldn't have done it, so I did it. All right? And I would like to turn to the Lord's Supper right now. And if you feel 
that you have not stacked up in anything I mentioned, there is repentance, there is forgiveness, and there is holiness. And you'll be different during the week. And because we never stack up, when we lead the word of God, we have the Lord's Supper every time we hear the word. We want Jesus. And on Monday, there's no Lord's Supper, you have prayer. You pray and you take a pit stop in heaven. Lord, give me repentance. Lord, grant me forgiveness. Lord, grant me holiness. And then that Lord's Supper begins to glow. The glory of the Lord's Supper. Isn't that beautiful? That God says, you're my child. Because you have the heart, the righteousness, and the holiness of Jesus definitively. But now, I am going to give you repentance and faith, forgiveness, and holiness. That's why I like to savor the Lord's Supper. This morning we had the Lord's Supper. There was one lady who took a big piece of bread. Ah, thank you, Lord. Um, um, repentance, forgiveness, holiness. Thank you. And a big swallow. Repentance, forgiveness, holiness. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And your face will glow because you have God through the Lord's Supper. The holiness of the Word is now yours through for repentance and forgiveness. And Mark, I'll continue to pray for you. Be a man of power and of suffering. Have a message of the new covenant and preach the cross and the resurrection as your threefold foundation. And then you stand there tall in the presence of God. And even if everybody leaves you, even everybody says no, even your friends who, who you have, who, in who, whose life uh, you worked effectively, even if nobody says next to you, be thou my vision. And you stand tall. And he gives it to you in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Amen. Shall we go?